0: How's that? There we go. How's that? There we go. I said it was Korean War vintage sound system. It was Vietnam War vintage sound system. I'm sorry. So anyway, uh, I uh, want you to know that we, uh, we're we grateful. Thanks for putting up. I know it's all hot in here at the beginning. We got that AC going, fans going. Dan Hobby's willing to come over there and do this personally to you. So thanks for bearing with us. And um, no pressure on our building committee or anything, but we're miserable in here. <laughs> no, thanks for uh, thanks for bearing with us. We appreciate it. And um, I want you to know that as we go to John chapter 10, if you have your Bible, if you turn to that in John chapter 10 or turn your, your uh, device on to John chapter 10, we're walking through a series and, um, and looking at the book of John. Um, so we're going to chop We're going to chop up chapter 10 in two places. I'm going to do this week, next week. And then, Shale, you get Lazarus. Which, you know, this makes up for the time I stuck him with the lineage part from Nehemiah. And he's never forgiven me. So you really get the good one, Lazarus. I was really wanting that one, but you got that. And uh, we're going to walk through these particular verses. Chapter 10 is not a standalone, brand new chapter. This is... And this is a continuation of chapter nine. Remember, only till the Bible started being compiled with their chapter divisions and scriptural verse divisions. So, this is a continuation of a story from chapter nine. And as you, as you go to look in this, I want to break down a little understanding of what's been happening. First, a little recap and review. Last week, if you are here, or if you know chapter 9 of John, you'll know that there was a blind man, a blind beggar, who had been healed. And what was interesting, he was going through the whole process of being healed, and uh, he gets healed, but the healing of just trying to deal with everything is a different story. I mean, you can walk out healed of something delivered of something but it doesn't mean you're free of something and so he's not free of the perceptions that people are giving him people are looking at this actually remember shale you mentioned this last week blew my mind never saw it before he was in the court he was in the uh, the court the, the the temple and they the man had been you know, he'd, he'd had his vision restored and it was interesting he was still referred to as the blind man i was like wow They're still referring to him as the blind man, which is why you see so many times people grow up in a system and no matter what they do, no matter what God does, oh yeah, you're still that guy. You're that person with the past and you see the identification. Jesus is about to explain to some people, all this has been broken. All this is made new. He's about to give a picture. He's not about to give a parable. This is different. This is a a word picture. This is a figure of speech. It's not a parable. So he's about to explain how this system works. He's going to explain it in a few simple verses. And they're going to miss it completely. First, I want to give you a little historical background of what happens here. And there's several aspects of sheep, shepherds, sheepfold, gatekeeper. You'll you'll hear some terms. For us, they're new. For a Middle Eastern agrarian society, they're nothing new. So, first of all, if we all lived back in the days in which the Bible is written, in which Jesus is telling a story, we would have invested in different items. We could have invested in land. You, know, you would invest in, um, in maybe different spices, but you would invest in sheep. You would invest in something, you would, you would buy an animal. And then, what would happen if you lived in an urban area, you would entrust that sheep to a shepherd. So the shepherd, a lot of times in our minds, the shepherd is wandering around with this flock of his own sheep. Actually, he's just taking care and watching these sheep that have been entrusted to him. So, Amy, imagine you guys have a sheep. And you're thinking, and she's telling Ray, there's no way we'll eat the sheep because you love animals so much. But she goes, you better believe it. So you have the sheep and it's entrusted over to someone who takes care of these sheep. These shepherds walk these sheep into a, a pen And then all of a sudden, there's another flock of sheep. This may sound unusual. new other sheep will be walked in into this pen. And it's called a fold. So you have a flock. That's the shepherd's sheep. And then they're taken into a fold, which is this big rocky area and and gravelly area. The reason it's that is because the sheep have destroyed everything in it. Sheep are not brilliant. So they're taken into this place. There's a gatekeeper. A gatekeeper is also called a porter. It's a security. That person would have been brought in at night. So you have six, seven shepherds bring their flocks into, make a fold, and then a gatekeeper would be assigned. The gatekeeper would look around and make sure nobody came through that path, it's through the doorway. The only person was allowed through the doorway. This is all huge. I mean, it's like I feel like I'm telling you the, the, the end of a movie that if, if I'm going to give it away, if, but here it is. He has to walk. Shepherd has to walk through the doorway. First, he has to get past the gatekeeper to know you're okay to go through the doorway. And then the shepherd calls out the sheep. And the sheep only know his voice. And what's odd is you could have 300 sheep. The 30 sheep assigned to that shepherd will go out and follow him. No one else will. The other sheep will just simply stay there. And then the gatekeeper closes the gate. The other folks who try to get over the walls to seal the sheep... Which was very common then. Very common today. You go to Africa. There's cattle markets that exist. They've been in these markets with tens of thousands of head of cattle. Thieves try to go in and steal. And they try to take the livestock out. And so this is the picture that we all now have a little bit of a taste of. That they had a full grasp of. They saw this every day. And then you're going to pick up into chapter 10. He's, Jesus is continuous conversation of the excommunication of this blind man who's now able to see and he's explaining this has been wrong and there's a true shepherd and that man is one of the sheep. So look at chapter 10 verse 1. As we go into again this, this figure speech, this word picture. Verse 1, truly, truly I say to you he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by any other way. That man is a thief and a robber. Okay stop right here. All the people listening. All the people gathering around. Are the religiosity. Who he by the way is doing two things. He's calling them out. He's saying you are a thief and a robber. And what you've done is in the capacity of a thief and a robber. And secondly... He's presenting the entire plan of God's plan of salvation right here. And see what the reaction is in just a bit. Verse 2. But he who enters the door, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper, remember that's the same as Porter, he opens. The sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. So you see this part where it mentions calls his own. He recognizes this, these are the shepherd's own sheep. He calls them by name. A lot of people might not be aware sheep have names, just like we would have names for dogs. You know, you go, you see the Iditarod in Alaska and places in, in the snowy tundra. Those animals with all the dogs, uh, up to twenty dogs sometimes, they all have a name. And sheep at that time would that have had different names. They're very attached. To their owner. To the shepherd. They are dependent on the shepherd. Sheep to give you a little bit more detail than you probably want. And I, and I always careful not to sound like. I'm regurgitating every sermon that's ever mentioned. Sheep. Sheep are not the brightest thing in the world. And it, but the reality is. They're not the brightest thing in the world. They eat grass down to the nub. To where there, no grass can grow. End up eating the dung of the other sheep. And die of disease. Which is why they have to constantly be moved on. Or they'll devour an area. To the point of no food. Even though there's grass within eyesight, they won't go to it. And so the illustration that we are sheep, there it is. (laughs) But he calls us by name. All throughout the Old Testament, I wish we had time to sit there and break down the Old Testament. You see in Ezekiel, you see so many places there's a promise, the shepherd's going to come, the shepherd's going to come. The people also knew being a shepherd was something that was kind of normal, Back in the days of antiquity of Moses and Isaac and Jacob and the David, they were, they were shepherds. But modern day, at this point, shepherds did not have a whole lot of clout. As a matter of fact, in a court of law, a Jewish court, a sh- the word of a shepherd held no testimony. They're remarkable. So a shepherd could be brought in and see, have seen something, doesn't count. Shepherd was not, there was a sheep gate. There were 13 gates pr- around the area of Jerusalem at one time. There was a sheep gate in uh, the shepherds were allowed to bring the sheep to a certain point. They'd bring the, the they would get the, the the sheep for sacrifices. And The shepherds, what happened to them? They had to stay on the outside in a little saloon, like a little restaurant, hang out because they weren't allowed in because they smelled so bad. Nobody wanted a shepherd. A shepherd, to identify with the sheep, again, your second point of, oh gross, I wish you wouldn't have told me that, was uh, the, the way he identified with a sheep, if he had a wayward sheep as a, as a little ewe lamb, he would break the legs and they would reheal, and he would just carry that sheep around. That sheep would never leave him when they were broken. But what he'd also do is take the bodily fluids of sheep and rub them all over himself so he would smell like the sheep in case he were to lose his voice. And what, this, is, this is the culture of a shepherd. And so this is not like, you know, Jesus is coming in saying, you know, well, I mean, for 2018, he would identify himself as a UPS uh, you know, driver, you know, to explain. He's not trying to identify himself with saying, oh, I just want to make you aware that I'm kind of like a guy that you work with that may be a shepherd that's a lowly man. He is saying, no, I'm coming in as a true shepherd. He's going to make a statement here. He keeps going through these first few verses. They're all listening in. And he says, he calls his own sheep by name, leads them out. Okay, no argument there. We know that happens. We see it happen every day. Verse 4. When he was brought out on, all, on his own. I'm sorry, let me read When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of Strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Go back to verse 4 if you could. For he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. Uh, eastern shepherd and a western shepherd are different deals. Western shepherd drives sheep. If you ever go to Australia and New Zealand, they drive sheep. In the east, they lead them, they guide them, they direct them. And that staff they use is, is for a lot of different reasons. It's for, number one, to pull them in. Number one, to take away, it, knock any kind of predator in the head. Knock them out. It would also be to lean on. They lean on these staffs because they wouldn't want to sleep on the ground for fear some animal may not see the shepherd and come in and hit them. So they stand up almost like a scarecrow in duty. Which they would lean on that staff. He goes through, gives this illustration... And again, we, he goes back to that, po- that part. The sheep hear my voice; they know this. In Australia, right after World War One, there was a there was a um, there was a trial. Two shepherds disputed the flock, and he said, "This is my flock." And there's shepherds, so does know "No, it's mine." And so the judge was the grandson of a shepherd, of a sheep farmer. So he went out to the field. They put the a flock of sheep there and he said, shepherd over here and shepherd over here. He says, you call for him. None of them came. He said, you call for him. They went right over there. He said, case dismissed. Right there. They all understood the voice of the shepherd. They knew. they could, and There was no mistake about it. Everyone's always known this. So Jesus goes through these six verses and what does it say? They did not understand. Verse six, they did not understand what he was saying. So watch as Jesus is about To more than double down on this, what look at the statement he's about to make, verse seven. So Jesus again said to them. By the way, started out verse one, truly, truly. Here it is. He says it again, truly, truly. Like, listen to me. I say to you, does he say I'm the shepherd? He says, I am the door of the sheep. That is a not only a crazy and preposterous statement. This is not only leading to a disaster of a metaphor. There's no way you can identify yourself as an object. You could stand there and say, I may be the, I'm the place, I'm the person who stands at that door and allows you to go in and out. But to say, I'm the door? So he says, I am the door of the sheep. So when he, they, they don't get it when he says, I, I'm, he's talking about the shepherd. They're like, oh, they're, whatever, whatever. He says, enough. I'm the door. Verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now stop right here and think about that. That term saved, we have heard that term. Before I was saved, I heard that term first time I ever saw it was on a dumpster somebody' spray Jesus there was some you know graffiti laden vandalistic uh, evangelist I guess running around spray painting and so he puts Jesus saves on a dumpster and I just remember saying what is he like I didn't know if that's where you drop things off for Jesus I, I was a kid I didn't know like what does that mean Jesus saves and and then I got it and I'm like oh that's what it means and then you just the verbiage just rolls out, you know, she's saved, is she saved, and what happens? We get so dumbed down to it, numb to it, And all of a sudden, someone sits you down, like what happened about 10 or 15 years ago, this couple sits me down in the middle of a bonfire for the college ministry, and they said, can we talk to you? I said, yeah, what is it? He said, what does it mean to be saved? And I'm thinking, man, I, I've become that guy that just rolls around with the vernacular, But we have to ask, if we in here, those of us as believers, know that we're saved, we have to ask ourselves, what do we save from? In order to save something, you save them into something. Jeff, are you and your rescue swimming experience? No, you don't save someone out of like, I've saved you from a depth of water to put them in another depth of water. You save them into something. Oh, you would not be saving them. So you save them from something right? Out of the water. You save them into something, security. You save someone out of this life of, of my, where, what is this life all about? Into saving them into eternity. You pull them out, right? And then what do we do as a majority of Christians? A lot of times, we got our fire insurance, we leave it there. Oh, I'm saved. He's saved. 30 hands went up in this country. Praise God this, what, this happened. We have been saved for a purpose. Look at that. Again, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. That is the preface to saying there is about to be a life abundancy that you can enjoy. That God has not designed you... So just simply have your fire insurance. God has designed you and saved you for a reason. Then he goes on to verse say, say in verse 10. The thief, he comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Then he says in verse 11. Okay, so where already said, I'm the door. Now watch the bomb he drops in verse 11. Here it is. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't simply say, I'm a shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. He says, you're not going to be like these other people who do lie. These other people who who say they care for you, but they don't. For what? He, in verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep. Okay, stop right here real quick. I'll explain this. There's a, there's a shepherd... There's a porter at night. And then there were people who tried to circumvent that and just hire someone very cheaply. It'd be a hireling. They hired somebody. Hey, just, just watch my, I've got like two sheep. I really don't want to pay the shepherd, the gatekeeper, all that. Just watch your sheep while we go to Passover. You're the hireling, just kind of hang out. Jesus says in verse 12 again, He who is is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. And he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And yet what do we do? we allow all those people that are hirelings in our life that we are thinking to bring us happiness they're going to bring us fulfillment and what do we do we let them in our mind those who have abandoned us those who have weakened us and young people I'm going to tell you this I can guarantee you older folks will say this and they'll give a big amen you don't have to, as well as on a prompt, but I'll tell you this. You will find in a place of disaster, there will be two groups of people, two thoughts that hit you. There will be people who show up that you never thought of, would show, the, show up. And there will be people who you expected who will never darken the door. You'll think, surely these people will come in. They don't. And then sure enough, there's people that walk in and you're like, I never knew. You see, the difference is, in these hirelings, lanes, there's not a passion There's no purpose, there's no desire, it's what's in their pocket. And what happens, everybody has expectations, everybody has agendas, and we live for the peripheral. I don't care how many funerals I've done, when you get to the grave site, there's two rows of green chairs sitting under a green canopy with astroturf over an empty hole, and whoever fills those two rows up with the men or the women that are standing just behind, that group of people... Outside of that group of people, anyone else there, 30 minutes after you're in the ground, the most pressing thought is potato salad or coleslaw for lunch. That is it. And yet you live for them. You live for the peripheral. You live for the, what people think of me. I wonder, what pe- I wonder what that person would say of me. And we live for him. That hireling, the person who is not there, that is not the shepherd. The sh- Jesus is saying the shepherd, the good shepherd, is the one who will lay his life down for the sheep. You can get cheap substitutes. You can go out and you can find self-help processes. You can find religion. You can find a a dysfunctional church. You can find dysfunctional friends. Those hirelings will abandon you. They'll flee at the first possible sight of danger. Or if you don't fit their mold. Why do we allow those people to have free reign in our mind? God doesn't abandon us. Have you ever heard of, um, back before social media, we used to read magazines. Anybody ever read Sports Illustrated back in the day? Remember, there's a guy named Rick Riley. Rick Riley. Anybody remember him? He was a columnist. He was kind of like, remember Lewis Grizzard, the southern columnist? And, and, well, anyway, he'd write funny stuff. Rick Riley would write in the back pages of Sports Illustrated. It's a funny story. One day he just wrote, but sometimes they had a good meaning behind it. And one day he's writing a story, and, and, um, and it was a very profound story. And it really stuck with me. It was one where um, there, was a, there was a man who was in need of a, of a lung transplant. And he was living in North Miami. He's with his, uh, with his wife, and they were shopping, believe it or not, starting to shop for funeral arrangements because he was losing his lung. He, he needed a lung transplant couldn't get one. Go to Norfolk News, Virginia. 18-year-old girl, tragically loses her life. And in the midst of agony, they walk out to tell the parents who this was. This girl was the apple of the eye of this family. And they looked at her and said, you want the organs to go out? And, she, and they just eh, whatever, yes. Organs went out to 64 people. The beeper at the time, he goes off and said, you need to get to Emory Hospital. And that arrangement with LifeLink that they could get on a plane right away, got to Emory Hospital. The lung is flown in to the experts who put the lung in. And within weeks, the lung had taken, and he was breathing. The LifeLink, the the uh, organ donor organization, those of you who may be aware, will not let you write a letter to the family for one year. They need one year of space before they can receive any communication. And then it's not to be a phone call, it's just to be a letter. So a letter was sent, and the letter was simply said that... Uh, I'm a recipient of your daughter's lung, and I just want to thank you for everything, and I'm, I'm going to do all I can to honor her life. They sent a letter back and thanked them. Another letter went out and said, is there any way I could visit you? If I'm ever in that area, may I stop by? And they said, we would love that. As a matter of fact, that, that happened, and he knocked on a door one night where they had planned dinner, and the door opened, and there was Lynn Geiger, the man with the daughter's lung, looking at the parents of the deceased, and the look, the ghostly white look of just what? How do you confront this? Then they eventually went to sat down in the foyer and then had dinner. And eventually, the uncomfortable scene broke into laughter, and they began joking and began talking. And on the way out, the mother said, "I had just if I could do one thing, if I could have one request." He said, "Anything." He said. She said, I know it may sound strange, but she said, may I put my ear to your chest? She said, I just really want to hear my daughter breathe one more time. And there in that room, there's that mother with her ear impressed to the chest, listening. The friendship grew into something between the father and the recipient and the lung. They began walking together. And meeting up together every few months. And they would get into... They started doing 5Ks. And eventually, they started jogging. The medication from the lung transplant began to wear out the recipient. To where he couldn't run. But they would walk these marathons. And he said that they didn't talk. They just walked. They both knew. The father wanted to hear the breath of his daughter. And they would cross that line... They said it was almost like the three of them crossed that line. You see, we were not saved so that we can be thrown into another flock. You were not saved to be put into a a pen to say, look what we have and look what others do not. We were saved to do something great. We were saved so our God could hear the breath And see the actions of his son. And you'll see that unfold here more in just a minute. It goes on in um, verse 14. This is where, wow, this gets powerful. This is one of those moments where you you really think, man, I wish I could get saved again because it's that profound. But I hope you hear it correctly here in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. He says it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So he says, I'm the good shepherd, I I know my sheep, they know me, they know me, they listen to my voice, they they, they hear who I am, verse 15, this is powerful, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, so here we are, let me read this again, without the chopping of the verses in 14 and 15, here it is, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Okay, take it back to, let's review a little bit. Go back to, go back to um, um, 15. Just as the Father knows me. He says it, just as the Father knows me. Just as the Father knows me What? Just as the Father knows me, that I know my own, and mine know me. He is bonding. You ready for this? He is as bound to you. If you go to sleep the rest of the sermon, this is it, we're writing down. He is as bound to you, bound to you, he's as bound to you as he is his Father. Wow. If anyone ever knocks on your door and says, we know there's a possibility you could lose your salvation. He is bound to you as he is his own father. And there's no way you can separate the son from the father. There's no way he can separate you from Jesus. There's no way. This is the beauty we have in Salvation. Just as the Father knows me. You remember earlier in John, there were times like people would knock on the door, Jesus, by the way, your your family's out here to see you. And Jesus looks at the crowd like us. He looks around at us. He goes, hey, no, here's, here's, my, here's my mother. Here's my sister. Here's my brother. You tell them I am with my family. Are you kidding? You just compared us to your earthly family. I mean, you took us on the role of Mary. Wow. Same person. No, here's my mother, here's my brother, here's my sister. He goes beyond that to say this. I am bound in the same love I have my father for you. Yeah. That's a thought. And Then he goes to verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. This verse is really cool because this is talking about us. Unless there's anybody in here who's born in native Israel. Unless we have a native Jew, because by the way, that sheepfold, he's talking about the Jews. That is Israel. But here's what's really cool that, I have other sheep. That's us. It's you. That's me. I have other sheep. And he's, and the reason I highlight certain verses, in case you wonder, what's the methodology? Why do you highlight some things and some things you don't? Because I generally highlight things that I'm like, I just. I, I don't even, I can't imagine why that's there. And you start to delve into researching this. So, oh by the way, I have other sheep. Now the Pharisees are thinking, what are you talking about? I have other sheep that I'm going to bring in this fold. And I must bring them also. So they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. The reason I highlighted must bring is it didn't have to be there. How on earth did Jesus have to must do anything? He must because he has been told by his Father, you must bring them in. Remember, Jesus did nothing out of the nature and the accord of his own Father. Nothing. And so when Jesus has been told, everything I've said, everything I've done, has been done because my Father wants me to do it. Now, just to, here's another level of love that we can grasp. You know as well as I do as Christians, we can say, Man, Jesus loves me. Yeah, I know I know Jesus loves me. But there's, you know there's a part of you that dwells with the fear and the thought that God is tired of forgiving you. That God is over the disastrous temptation and acceptance of it. You think he's over, your are doubting. You think, I know Jesus died for me, but there's a God who's angry. I hope that verse ends it once and for all. For before, oh, Jesus didn't just come here to save you, and start when he started the ministry at age thirty. He didn't come here when he was begotten out of heaven into Bethlehem and say, "I'm now here to change things." He is saying at the at the moment when the world looked like it went awry, from I mean, the moment in heaven where it was uttered, "Those are my children, go get them." exchange between the Father and the Son. You must go get them. And so when Jesus says this, oh and by the way, I have other sheep. I have other sheep and I must bring them also. That's a powerful thought. We can say all day long we're saved and forget what it means. We can say all day long Jesus loves me and forget that there is a God the founder, the foundation, the Alpha, the Omega who says man, Go get my people. Bring them into the fold. For one flock. One flock. You catch it. Do you remember what other flocks were called? What was it called? Anybody remember? A fold. He said, I just don't want to make one fold. No, I want one flock. This isn't. It sounds like I'm angry. I'm not. I just get excited about this. But you think about (laughs) Jake really loves sheep. No, I mean, listen to this thought. This isn't. Oh, by the way, now we have a bigger fold. No, Jesus is saying, I'm not only the good shepherd, I am the door. I'm the door, and also I now this is my this is my flock. This isn't a fold of this shepherd's flock and this shepherd's flock and this. no, it's just one flock. Not one fold. Don't let that, don't let that, don't let that escape you. Verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Okay? Let's examine that real quick. Here it is again. For this reason, the Father loves me. I wish we could just close our eyes and meditate on that verse. One of the reasons Jesus is saying his Father loves him so much is because of us. Is that remarkable? I love you so much because you're going to lay down your life for these people. You know, so when Jesus comes to this earth and you see Satan walking with Jesus and going, they're not going to get it. They won't understand. Satan wasn't trying to tempt Jesus into having worldly materialistic things. He said, they won't understand what you're trying to do. I know these people. If Jesus has been ushered here, you must bring them into me. And Jesus said, my father loves me because I lay down my life and I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So do you remember when Passion of the Christ movie came out? and there was a big debate over, somebody said, oh, well, the Jews killed my Jesus. Do you remember hearing this? Like, I, there were people that would debate that. And, well, the Romans killed Jesus, and did the Jews... No, no one killed Jesus. Let's all be in agreement when we walk out of here. Jesus is very clear. No one takes my life. And what's amazing is he's looking at people who are basically holding a knife, trying to kill him, and Jesus says, oh, no one's going to take my life. I'm going to, I have the authority to lay my life down. And by the way, I have the authority to bring myself back. What a thought. I am going to bring myself back. You can't take my life. With Jesus on the cross, we know. He simply said, Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. He says, it is finished. It's, uh, I, I, I give you who I am. Again, he says, This charge I have received from I, my Father. In my Bible, I have written wow several times. This is one of the verses that went wow. Jesus, did you catch this? Jesus and his Father are vying for the love of us. God is saying, You, you are going to go down and do this, and Jesus is saying, I, He loves me because I'm doing this. And what do we do? We we keep diminishing the power of the cross. Think about this one. We need to stop trying to sin, to out sin the sacrifice of the cross. We are always trying to out the sacrifice of the cross. In everything we do, we think, Oh no, it was too much of a sin. The cross can't forgive it. No, stop trying to out the sacrifice of the cross. The cross was a sacrifice once and for all. It's over, but it's hard for us to grasp. You know, I go down to Salvation Army. Uh, whenever, you know, obviously, you know I have an addiction to thrift shops. And so I go down there three and four times a week. And so it was half off day. So it wasn't why I left the work day, by the way, here. Just finding some cool stuff and met a friend in the line. And, and, you know, and so you know, met, met some folks and talking to some people and get in there. And I said to someone, "How's what's his name? Because the people who were working there came from the rehabilitation services. And I just have an attraction and love for the people who God is bringing up, you know, out of there, you know. And, uh, and I was like, man, how's he doing? How's he doing? And he's like, not good. I was like, no. And i I like, oh, really? He said, yeah. Um, you know, it's 14 months sober, this and that, just fell and hit. And I called last night. Sure enough, late last night calls or sends a text yeah thank you for reaching out I was almost ashamed to go to you and I'm thinking why would you be ashamed to go to me I, I would. why would you be ashamed to come to me like man I really would have liked to have just talked to you to hung out with you no don't, don't be like that don't be like that so I'm telling him watch this this is how we don't get it I'm telling him man you don't get it you don't get it you can come to me you know, come to, you know, come to God. You know that. Yeah, I know that. Don't be ashamed. Don't out-sin the sacrifice of the cross. Don't think, don't sh- stop trying to out the love of a friend, the forgiveness of Christians. Stop it. You got it? Yeah, yeah, I got it. And I sent him a text that said, you know, because he's a boxing fan, I said, just remember, God's in your corner. God's in your corner. You go back to that corner between every round. He's going to patch up. He's there. He's there. And man, God hit me upside the head. Bow. Like even melatonin couldn't take me into the sleep. But he got me. It's like He's like, you don't get it, Jake. I'm just not the one in a corner. I'm the one who wants to go in the ring. I want to take the punches. I want to go in there and I want to stand up. And I want to take the punches. And I want to throw the punches that are needed. That's the God I am. Not the one who sits in some corner. God didn't sit in a corner to save us. He sent his very own to die for us. And still to this day, in all the word we have, the word is saying, as much as the Father loves the Son, he loves us. As much as the Son loves the Father, he loves us. He says, I am not only the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the door. And then verse 19 There is again a division among the Jews because of these words in the last two verses here out of this chapter. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? We've heard that group, right? And then watch the other one, verse 21. Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There is turmoil and next week we see the debate. and We see what happens from these words. But the reality is, you and I stand here. Most of us know we are in the flock. And the beauty is the diversity. The diversity of, of different backgrounds. Of people who have been brought up out of seminary. Brought up out of prison. Brought up out of mundane life. Brought up out of monotony. And saved for a purpose. But that door, as much as it's open to us, it's closed to others. And they have closed that door. Revelation 3.20 says this. If this doesn't show you the pursuit, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come into him and eat with him. And he with me. The reality is, Jesus is saying this, I'm the door. But even when you've closed me out, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you would just hear my voice, I will come in and eat with you. And you with me. The 23rd Psalm are six verses that I have read at every graveside i 've done, I count weddings, but i don 't count funerals, obviously, and you just sit there and think there 's times where you don 't know what to say, but you always know what to say at every graveside, I personalize the twenty third psalm typically it reads you know and i 'll say the first four verses as if the person you know i 'll say let 's say it 's um, whatever uh, john i 'll say the Lord was John's Shepherd, he does not want any more. He made John da- lie down in green pastures. But the reality is, these six verses are for us. And we can hear them. But imagine being someone without a shepherd. Imagine someone never having trusted Christ as their Savior. And having no idea what it means to have a shepherd and a staff comfort them. To have no idea what it means to have somebody guide them and walk them along. And so when this lowly shepherd of David, in six verses, writes this, he writes in the 23rd chapter of Psalm, the 23rd Psalms, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and the staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And lastly, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those six verses we have as a promise. To us, he's the good shepherd. To us, he's the door. But to others, he's a closed door. And as much as I've tried to witness to some people and I've told them and I've told them time and time again, there will come a time if you don't think you need Jesus now, there is a time you will, whether on this earth or your last breath on this earth. And oftentimes those are too late. And so whether it's from a preacher, or whether it's from a friend, or whether it's from uh, a Billy Graham special or the public's cashier, Jesus says, Behold, at the door, I stand there and I'm knocking if you just open that door, I will walk in. But you have to know He's a God who loves you. He's a God who pursues you. I know this is kind of a weird story to tell, but I think um, I was leaving I was leaving the farm yesterday, the house and these memories come up being out there as a kid. And uh, I remember being out, we had there was an old house out there. My grand, I was in my grandma's room I was probably seven, eight years old, and we were watching Wheel of Fortune, you know, and uh, it was, it was like when Wheel of Fortune was on at 11 o'clock at night, as a weird anyway, we were watching, and I could still see the old house, hard, hard floors, you know, uh, open windows, we didn't, the AC wasn't running, and a bull from across the, the street had gotten over into our, our side, and I mean, my neighbors didn't raise like a petting zoo like I live in, it's like a. Mean bulls, you know. And, and this thing was just right outside the window. <clears throat> <clears throat> it was just, just noise. Just like, man, what is that? And, you know, I'm like, Bama. That was what I called her. I said, Bama, what is that? I mean, I'm thinking, I don't know, what is. She said, I think it's a, I think you should go get your Uncle Henry and, you know, across the hall. And over there, it's Uncle Henry. He came in there. And, I mean, eyes as big as this. A Brangus bull. You ever seen those things? They're the size of a truck, right? And they're mean. I mean mean. And and I remember thinking, What what am I gonna do? Like, Uncle Henry, go get it. I mean you got a bunch of guns in here, go get it. And so he goes to the gun cabinet, which if you walk in my house, you look on the left, there's a gun cabinet. I stole a couple of my dad's rifles that are in there, but but you know, you just go <laughs> and uh, and he, he walks over and he got like this um, whip-like thing to go out. He said, we're going to shoo it away. And he says, but just in case I just go ahead. and he puts, he puts a gun on his holster and puts it you know, back here. He probably ever hardly use it. He's not going to use it on a, his neighbor's bull. This is my uncle. He walks outside and I'm standing here with my grandma. He says, in case you don't know my name, real name's Jason. He says, "Well, come on Jason, let's go. I'm like, go where? <laughs> I'm seven years old. You're dragging me out there in the middle of the night. with a. He says, come on, let's go get it. I'll never forget that fear of walking out. All those fears of when you get thrown in a pool to learn how to swim. Or you go to the first time at bat as a kid. And like, I don't want to be here, but you're glad you're there. When you, and I walk out, and it's pitch black. And you hear this beast just going through. And I'll never forget my uncle. The most untheological thing you'll hear a, a preacher say. He pulls out a cigarette. I was pitch black. He lights a cigarette. The light of the of the flame just lit up his kind of native Indian Florida cracker face, cowboy hat on. And, you know, he's like the Marlboro Man. You know, he really, yeah, you know, me remember? And he, he said. He looked at me. and said, "Come on, son, let's go get him." And I had never felt any safer in the middle of the night with a wild bull to know what was at my side. So was my uncle my dad opportunities where I had been perfected and defended there's some comforting there to know that our Savior has said I carry a staff no one no one will break my staff to get to you. What comfort. And what a privilege we have to know we have so much more to do than to stay in our pen and exist. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for the picture of who you are. God, I thank you for the fact that you have lovingly rescued us. And Lord, you are standing at the door knocking on the hearts of a lot of people. But Father, in this room I know a lot of the folks in here, but if there are those who've never received you as their Savior, Lord, they would simply find one of us that walk up to and say, I just I, I heard that voice, I want to open the door, how do I do that? And let's walk with them through that. People who say, I want to take the next step in baptism and say, Lord, I just want to, be, I want to be obedient and follow through on that. God, thank you that you go out and, God, you, you stand there with us. In the midst of our fears, you take those punches when we should be the ones taking them. God, you're that kind of a God. We thank you. Thank you for the word picture you gave us of the shepherd. Thank you for the fact that you are the door. There's no other way. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, before we sing this last song,